So empathy is not just about having, you know, understanding of your audience. It's the ability to share in the way that they feel and to take action to be more human, more helpful, and more handy. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 8 of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. I'm Alicia Esposito, Senior Content Strategist for Demand Gen Report. And I know you don't need me to say it, but I'm going to say it. Your buyers today are self-educated and self-guided. They are more cognizant of the content and ads that are being served to them. And in turn, they're very wary of who they trust. That's why more than ever, you as marketers need to create content with empathy. And that may vary depending on your brand and your messaging, but it can cover a few things. It can mean humor. It could mean more immersive storytelling. But for Laura Ramos at Forrester Research, it all revolves around the three H's, being human, being helpful, and being handy. During this session, she digs into why it's so important to be all three and whether B2B marketers today are actually up to the task. And if your content and campaigns aren't quite ticking all these boxes, don't panic, because once she goes into some research, she offers some practical advice and guidance to help you change the way your teams collaborate, ideate, and go to market. So give it a listen, and hopefully you find some ways to refresh or rethink the way you do things. So good to be here. I'm going to stand up on stage so I can see this and point, and more importantly, see all of you. How's it going? Good? How many are here for the first time? To at B, okay. Oh, really? Wow, this is great. Okay. How many of you are Forrester clients? Oh, not as many. Okay. This is good. Um, I am going to kind of basically do the whole speech in one slide. This is how I'm going to start. And then you guys can stay and, no, and please do and, and hear all of everything that's going to back up on this. Do any of you recognize either of these two people? Okay, who is it? Well, I'm Ah, so you know Anne. And the other person is? Correct. And I show this picture because I th don't think, I think this was kind of one of these situations where everybody was left with their mouths hanging open. Anne invited, this is 2015, Anne had invited Michael Keaton to come to the stage, right? He was one of the speakers at Adobe. And talk about like the creative process that goes into his filmmaking. Uh, picture, if you will, the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, 8,000 attendees. And here's Michael Keaton dropping F-bombs in every other sentence, practically. Yeah. And this is where, this is, so I'm going to be talking about empathy, but from the perspective of three new habits that marketers need to adopt, being more human, being more helpful and being more handy. So Adobe gets points on the human side for like bringing in someone who has the creativity of a Michael Keaton to speak to the audience and get a fresh perspective. 
And on the helpful side of things, because once you got past the language, there were some interesting things that he had to say. Um, but the handy part is where things fell apart a little bit. Poor Anne, I still remember her fanning herself with her note cards every time one of these words came out. And the handy part is, hey, you've got to be able to be adaptable, agile. So if this was going on, and it's always easy to arm, armchair quarterback, is to say, how do I empathize with my audience? How do I empathize with what it is that I'm trying to get across here and make a switch? and say, okay, Michael, thank you very much. We're going on to the next thing. So empathy is not just about having, you know, understanding of your audience. It's the ability to share in the way that they feel and to take action to be more human, more helpful, and more handy. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. And I'm gonna start out with a tale of two, here's another one of these silly non sequitur kinds of things, a tale of two 90s. Anybody know what this first 90 is in this tale? I'm giving you absolutely no context, I know. Guess, come on. I didn't hear that. 91%. The percent who don't know. <laughs> good. 91% doing content marketing. Very good, John. Yeah, it is. This is according to our friends over at the Content Marketing Institute, Marketing Profs. It's like B2B marketers. 91% are doing content marketing. Um, content is something, I'm like, well, what are you other 9% doing? Because I, you know, we heard this on stage, that, that content is one of the key things that, I think it was Ken Winko said, that, that he hires for in his marketing athletes. So then there's this other 90. What do you guys think this one is? Yeah, actually, it is the percentage of marketing content that sales doesn't use. And, and that's a big problem. And the bigger problem is Forrester's done research to look at how do buyers think about the content. And this is from our most recent study on content objectivity. 60% um, of the people we surveyed said, vendors give me too much material, and more than half find it useless. So when you do the math, you take a hypothetical $1 billion company and you run it through our numbers, 6% on average, these are rough numbers, 6% on average goes into marketing programs of revenue, of that 12% goes into content, you're waste, and half of it is useless, you're wasting $4 million. Just put it in a big pile and light it on fire. But here's the problem. As marketers in the digital age, we've got to use a lot of different channels. Right? And we keep doing it. We keep creating more and more. For everything that we're doing, we're constantly trying to put more content out there to create campaigns, to do what our client, you know, to try and reach those buyers who are so important to us. But those buyers have gotten really smart and they put up their content deflection barriers and very little of it gets through. The numbers say much of this is useless. We also know that much of it is useless because we study business-to-business -business websites. So this is the second study. We did a first one two years previously in 2014. We looked at 30 business-to-business -business websites. In this one, we looked at 60. And what you see, that's the report, and then I know it's an eye chart, but there's the 15 things that we graded these websites on. This isn't about website design. This is about whether or not the content is engaging does it compel the visitor to do something? 
12 different industries. These are the industries. We looked at five companies in each industry. We didn't pick big names like Oracle or HP or, or, or Salesforce because they crossed too many of these boundaries. We really wanted to see what companies in each individual industry were doing. Graded it on the things I just showed you. Uh, that should have been build, sorry, I gave it away. But, but out of the 60, how many do you think passed? Draw out a number, three, five, okay. A passing score, if you had, was two for each thing, so it's 30 points. Nobody got 30 points. We actually had to move it down to 25 to find six. This is an issue. Um, so the solution to this, or the way that we need to start thinking about this is, how do we engage buyers on their terms, not yours? I mean, the vast majority of those 54 that did not pass were doing things like talking about themselves, talking about their features and functionality. They did not identify an audience. They didn't have tools that would help people make decisions. They didn't have engaging use of video. I could go on and on and on. These are the kinds of things that engage buyers around the different stages of their life cycle. Because in today's digital world, buyers have become self-educating and self-directed. They also need to ongoing education for every stage of their life cycle. And ultimately that personalized engagement that turns them into advocates for you. Why does marketing win when customers advocate? I'm gonna show you in just a second. We went, and there's the second. We went out and we did uh, further research on the kinds of content. So not individual like types of reports and things, but in sort of broad categories. A lot of this focuses on format. So when you look at the list, the number one thing that people found most valuable when they are making and exploring technology decisions is peers, case studies, testimonials, the kinds of things that talk about how somebody else worked with you and were successful and what they went through. Now, the two other things that follow are very close. There is a statistically significant difference between number three and number four. So notice, white papers with supporting data is number two and the business case ROI content is number three. Interestingly, you can see there's a two times uh, difference between people who prefer white papers with supporting data versus white papers that just talk about what you do. So it's all about proving not just what you do is great, but that other people think that's the case. The other thing that we talked about too is what kinds of content formats, right? And again, I'll get to the empathy in just a minute, but if you look about like this, this is why it's so important to think about your content from the perspective of the buyer and how they go through their entire customer life cycle. Attention spans, right? And it's not, I think attention span isn't so much that everybody's busy and they're looking for the answer. They don't have a time to like go through a bunch of things to figure it out. They want you to tell them. So short form reports, infographics made a huge leap in this particular survey, articles, webinars, uh, short videos. Interestingly enough, 81% said that all of the short form content is more credible when it is linked to the detailed reports and study, those white papers with data, the ROI and case study reports that were popular on the previous page.
Credibility. Do they believe it? Do they find it valid is another important thing to look at. And I know this sounds self-serving, but tier one analyst firms are the, the kinds of sources that buyers trust the most. So, you know, it, it, as much as we, we, we profess <laughs> not to like, oh no, you've really got to think about things differently. You've got to look at the whole picture. Those Gartner magic quadrants and Forrester waves really do count when buyers are making decisions. Now, we took one slice out of the data to look at the executive suite. So this is just all of the executives who were in this particular study. And what you'll see is, again, very short format, but it's not interactive yet. It's, it's visual, they want to read it, it's infographics, it's short form reports and articles, but it's the kind of thing that they can take and digest, read on the plane, read later on. It's not that they're using it in, in to, to do active interaction with it. So that's an important thing to look at. But then we said, okay, well, how does this compare across different age groups? Because we know a lot of C and VP level are in that kind of boomer category or in, you know, the, the what do we call them, the Gen Xers. But look at the millennials and think too back on the work that Lee um, and, and uh, Amy, Alex, Alex were sharing yesterday about millennials. Um, when you look at the millennials, so the, the far column on your right is the difference between the lowest score and the highest score in all of the columns. So where there is the sort of the biggest difference is on social content. Millennials use it, baby boomers not so much. But look at things like interactive ROI tools and short video and, and uh, infographics, short form reports. I mean, the, the, especially the interactive ROI tools and the short form video, this is what the millennials are using to make those technology decisions that Lee talked about. So, so this is kind of thinking about through, okay, how do we engage our audience? But it takes more than what you want to just engage your audience with. You've got to think about how to engage them. And unfortunately, you know, there's not this clean checklist. But if you go through all of this and you say, okay, check, we're going to produce more of this kind of content and not this kind of content, we're going to win. We're going to be successful as marketers. I wish it were that easy. It's not. In fact, you know, what we found in the research is that it's going to take a lot of change uh, in the way that we think about marketing, the kinds of programs that we do, the types of campaigns that we do. And it really all starts with recognizing what Forrester calls that customers need to be customer obsession. That is using your budget, resources, everything, uh, it, it, your strategy to really focus on the customer first and to prioritize that over all of the other stuff, a lot of operational stuff as well that you're doing. So you can't just say, well, you know, the customer. <laughs> so, so we wanted to know, what does it take to be truly customer obsessed? So we went out and we did a study. We designed a survey. We, it was a huge instrument. We, there, were, there were like, you know, 60, 70 questions in it. And we asked people these questions about six different levers that you can pull to change, you know, the way that your company operates. Those three are people, process, and technology. Six are people, process, and technology, metrics, organization, and culture. So we asked a bunch of questions. We also asked questions to figure out whether they were customer obsessed or not. 
We found there was a bell-shaped curve, you know, which companies were customer-obsessed, which ones weren't. And then we did a big regression to figure out what were the different factors that led into this. And there were 21 different things that companies that are customer-obsessed do more so than, than companies that are customer-naive or only customer-aware. So uh, um, over 1,000 respondents, and if we take a look at the overall study and then just a slice of B2B, here's what we found. So this is how they're distributed. You can see that there's a small percentage, about a quarter or so, that are customer-naive, and a very small percentage, 13 12%, that are customer-obsessed. The vast majority kind of fall in that customer aware phase. And this is where a lot of companies are still prioritizing things that they need to do operationally. And while they pay you know, lip service to the idea of being customer obsessed, there's a lot of work that they need to do. Okay. Um, the thing is, goodness happens when you're customer obsessed your business opportunities get better. First of all, we found in looking at the B2B section in particular that these kinds of companies that are customer obsessed have happy employees. And those happy employees across the board are great because they not only believe in the company and believe what's in the mission, but they're also then more inclined to share their enthusiasm with the customers. And the customers benefit from this because those, these companies also have Again, factor of two to one, they're more custom, um, they have stronger customer relationships. And that customer relationships lead to loyalty, which ultimately leads to better financial performance. And this was probably the most exciting result of this study, which is the customer obsessed companies were almost like three times as likely to overperform on their financial numbers than the ones that were customer naive. So as the B2B marketing team, we were like, okay, this is great data, but what do marketers do differently than the rest when they're in a customer-obsessed organization versus not? How do we look into this? So we took the same 21 questions, we went out and did a survey, and we took all of our respondents and we put them into a similar bell-shaped curve. We found out that's how they distribute it, very similar to the one that I showed you. But in that, that study, we also asked them a bunch of questions about what they do as B2B marketers. And there were a couple of really interesting findings in terms of what customer-obsessed B2B marketers do differently than ones who are customer-naive or only customer-aware. The first thing is they spend their marketing budget, resources, and technology engaging with customers across their entire life cycle not just trying to generate leads and demand that go into the sales organization or run campaigns focused on net new acquisition or purely growth. There's this real sense amongst these customer-obsessed marketers that you have to engage with the customer through their entire lifetime. The other thing that they are way more likely to do by a factor of three to one is focus on creating customer advocates people who are out in the market talking about them to other people. Why is this valuable? Exactly. Peers trust the peers. We saw that in the data. It's also valuable because when you've got peers talking to each other 
and helping you generate content as we've seen. So I, I talk about it as advocacy. I think we've got a new name for it here at the conference. It's called influencer marketing. Same kind of thing when we talk about it from the customer perspective. When you're creating those, that kind of content, that's that much less money, that much less effort that you have to go through as marketers. So it's better content, peers want to listen to it, and it is helping you get more done for your dollar. Okay, so that's what they do differently. The other thing is that when we started to dig from the research standpoint, then we went out and talked to some of them, and we're saying, what do you do? And in conjunction with the rest of our team on the B2B side and the B2C side, we found out that there are three new habits that these marketers are getting into at Customer Obsessed. Um, and this is what I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Anne and Michael Keaton. Um, they're human, they're helpful, and they're handy. And the overlying theme to all of this is, you know, not only do you treat your customers as you would your friends and family and your colleagues, that you focus specifically on solving their problems, and that you flex to accommodate changes in market conditions as well as inside of your company. These three things all tie together in a new charter for marketing, which is defining the brand promise and then ensuring that that brand promise gets carried out in the customer experience across the entire company, across every stage of the customer's life cycle. That kind of obsession requires new thinking. It requires you to take a new look at what marketing is doing and what maybe you should be doing differently. And in B2B, that mindset is focused on empathy. Again, not from the sort of, you know, B2C, oh, you know, we need to like, in, in, you know, understand our customers and, and, and demonstrate that we have feelings for them. No, you've got to understand what's going on in their business and show that you understand that in the content. This is the definition of empathy. Notice the emphasis that it's not just understanding what they're going through, but it's the ability to share. How does marketing share? Through content, right? And that becomes your key lever in the market to demonstrate you understand what's going on with them. This is also the pivot point to great messaging, to account-based marketing success. It all starts with knowing your customers and demonstrating that you know them. Um, right? It's, I think what we do is that, you know, we know we've got to go through this path. And this is, I think, why there's also huge interest today in content, uh, not, I'm sorry, data, data management, all of the kind of customer data. You know, this industry, that particular sector is growing very fast because we know we've got to derive insights that then turn into understanding. But I think we all kind of stop there. We don't take the extra step to empathy. And when you do that, you build trust, and trust is what builds loyalty. And we saw that in the data out of the customer-obsessed organizations. They had more loyal customers. But that's the linchpin right there. And so that customer understanding plus empathy comes through for marketing in more relevant content.
Okay, so I want to show like some of the things that, that people do when they get empathy right. And it really helps to drive the transition to this new marketing mindset. And it does it in four different ways. And I'm going to go through all four with you real quickly um, about imparting insights to the rest of the organization, embracing emotion as part of your marketing story, um, establishing a community, and this is where the advocacy and the influencer marketing comes in, and motivating those advocates. Okay, so the first one is about reinforcing customer knowledge. Um, this is important, not just for marketing to be have that mindset about the customer always comes first, but to make sure the rest of the organization understands that that's part of the mission as well. Um, we have a series of reports coming out very shortly that looks at the transition of the marketing mindset through the rest of the organization from basic early stage through intermediate to advanced. So depending on where you fall in your maturity level, it gives you different advice on how to be more human, helpful, and handy at those different stages. Customer knowledge, though, is, is pivotal to this. And I wanted to share an example with you from Dow. Um, they use data that Forrester has, which is called our Customer Experience Index. And Dan Futter over there is the head of customer experience strategy at Dow. And the thing that he found is that this data was really important for them to understand how their customers buy and what they're thinking about and what the experience is like when they are engaging with Dow. But he needed to make this part of other customer experience data that they were collecting, but make sure that it was delivered to the right organizations at the right time. So his solution was actually pretty simple. They're dashboards but each one of the dashboards is customized to either the part of the organization, it's different for development of products, for example, versus what sales sees on an account-by-account -account basis. This account-specific and, and divisional-specific feedback has really helped Dow to understand the customer and to move the customer from being sort of a arbitrary you know, thought project to something that guides all of their decision-making today. The second part of building and executing on this, this empathy cycle, if you will, is to demonstrate that you, know, you understand not just what they're going through as prospects and customers, but that you understand their feelings. I mean, we always in B2B think, oh, we sell to accounts, we sell to companies. We get briefed all the time as analysts, and one of the slides that inevitably shows up are all the logos that are this particular, who's ever doing the briefing, all the companies that they've sold to. But behind those companies are people. And we need to understand and demonstrate that we understand what it means, you know, why they're motivated to do the things that they're doing. Um, let me give you an example of how this kind of works out in marketing. So Christine Hecker took over as CMO of Brocade, I think it was maybe three, four years ago. And of course, it enters an organization where there is this behemoth competitor in the market, Cisco. And she knows she's never going to be able to outspend them, never, in, in terms of marketing. So she said, what do we need to do? So she went out and did customer research. And she found out that networking engineers, by and large, feel frustrated. They feel like, you know, it's just one thing after another, that things never are going their way. And she wanted to tap into that emotion and kind of poke fun at it a little. So they developed, she worked with um, th this cartoonist in Silicon Valley to come up with these New Yorker style ca cartoons 
that expressed this interest and this frustration. So you can see, you know, like I, they just couldn't adapt fast enough. And they ended up creating what's called On Second Thought, which is their destination where all of these cartoons are. And, and it's just meant to connect with in an emotional way that core feeling inside of their uh, buyers. They've also used this in a lot of different campaigns. Interestingly enough, here's what it looked like on their LinkedIn page. And LinkedIn shared with them statistics about how well this campaign uh, performed versus other campaigns on LinkedIn. And it exceeded the benchmarks by three to one. So this really was something that, you know, as an evidence point, showed that she really did end up connecting with her audience. Okay, the next point is about curating and cultivating a community. Communities are essential in business to business, right? This is how, um, you know, you build your users and you have your user conference and you get people to connect with you and be loyal over time. Um, I really like this particular story because Spiceworks, I think, are very in tune to their customers. And again, what Spiceworks does is not something that is like super unique in the marketplace. Um, this all started years ago when they had their very first user conference. And the user conference had what they called their um, Spice Core. So these are people who are special customers inside of Spiceworks who are dedicated to making things better. And the Spice Corps attended the conference and they said, gosh, this was so much fun. We got together, we learned so much, we want to do this on a regular basis. So the Spice Corps then developed sort of the individual user groups at a local uh, basis, starting in Boston. Now the Spice Corps have user local user conferences um, in 80 different countries and they do like 150 of them worldwide. And one of the things that they learned to do is to bring the actual users of the technology into the room with the marketers. So if you are a particular company like Cisco, uh, you can work with Spiceworks to set up one of these unplugged get-togethers. And they'll bring people who've been very active on Spiceworks into the room and learn what is, and you can learn from them firsthand as a marketer in terms of what do you like, what don't you like, here's our roadmap, where do you think we're going? And they will give you feedback like there's no tomorrow. This is community, and this is what the value of the community that you can get out of this is, is demonstrated by what Spiceworks is doing. And then finally, you know, we all have fans, right? We've got customers who absolutely love us. How do you turn those fans into valuable assets? Through things like advocacy. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know what's going on on the right-hand side there. Um, this is a company called Bright Pearl. And, and this is, again, this kind of content, easy to do, low ask on the part of the customer, uh, super important in terms of giving them visibility and making them feel like part of the community and that their um, contributions are being appreciated. So Bright Pearl helps um, merchants, and what they did is they asked their different customers to give tips. And this tip happens to be around the, the holiday of, of um, Valentine's Day. And they said, what are some things that you can do to make the holiday you know, special or to do things online, to make the retail experience different? And so all of the tips that they put together um, are, came out in this infographic. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in each of the tips, there's a box and it says who it was contributed by and which company they came from. These are all their customers. 
What does it take a customer to put a tip together like this? Small amount of time. What's the impact? Huge. Um, Staples does this kind of customer advocacy. And in 18 months, they had put an advocacy program together that generated over 120,000 advocacy acts. From as simple as what you saw with Bright Pearl, to customer references, to referrals, to speakers on stage. The impact of this was you know, tremendous in terms of the kinds of things that um, uh, Staples business got as a result. The most important being that the insight that now drives their strategy. You know, just putting the customer in the room with you. Intel does this by leaving a chair open at the table and says, the chair's for the customer. Let's talk about every decision in light of what the customer is thinking and, and what they would think of this. Um, Axiom puts this together as a program. I wanted to share this with you. It's called Masters of Marketing because it, it really now becomes a part of every customer's experience. It's a showcase for marketing pioneers. Let's tell the world about you. This is the key to influencer marketing and advocacy. You've got to design the program around them, not around you asking them for things. So your work is outstanding. It deserves to be amplified. It's easy to be showcased. And then they even focus on what kind of marketer are you? Because we all have different personalities and there are, other, there are things that we're willing to do and not willing to do. And if it matches our personality, we're more willing to do it. It's about empathy. I think that's the one thing that Axiom really hit on in this particular program, is demonstrating that we know what it's like to be a marketer like you. And we want to feature that. Empathy is what creates trust. Trust is what builds loyalty. And loyalty ultimately increases your customer lifetime value. Mark Twain reminds us that the secret to getting ahead is just get started. So I'd like all of, to invite all of you to just get started and get started with empathy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than 100 sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2B POD. That's B2B-P-O-D. We hope to see you there.